You can now take KRBN Internet News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier to listen to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bo's Nose Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we come to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon, where it's a typical Oregon November day. Gray, drizzle, chilly. Yeah, it's fall. Maybe even almost winter. But, uh, yeah, we got lots to talk about here on the Bose Nose Show today. But, you know, this show is really about you know, what you want to talk about. And all you have to do to get in on a conversation is call us at 646-721-9887. Just press one so you, we know you want to get in on a conversation and not just calling to listen on your phone. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. So all sorts of things to talk about today, but First thing I kind of want to mention somewhat is that there was uh, a shooting in the River Road area. If you haven't heard about it yet, you'll hear about it probably in in the next 24 hours on the news. Um, And apparently there was a neighbor dispute or something like that. But when the original call came in, uh, it was called in as as shots fired in, in an active situation. So, of course, that's the... Ali Ali income free for uh, police response. And uh, I just happened to be driving um, home from downtown right as the call came in and was passed by no less than 12 to 14 different police agencies, it seemed like, with lights and sirens uh, on Delta Highway and Beltline as I was headed past River Road. And as they got off River Road uh, there, and uh, apparently there was uh, a neighbor dispute down off of Maxwell, kind of, you know, pretty close to Kelly Middle School. Um, so, you know, it did, did have some people concerned. I think they locked down the schools for a little bit. Um, but it turned out that apparently the person that did the shooting also uh, committed suicide. So there was no further threat to the neighborhood, but a couple people were transported to Riverbend. And I don't know what their condition is, but that's all we know at this point. That's all the the EPD has released. It was some kind of neighbor-to-neighbor dispute um, that ended up in in gunfire and then a suicide. Um, So always sad to hear those things. But, you know, you'll probably, if you didn't see some Facebook traffic, if you're in River Road, Santa Clara area, you probably heard about it or kind of wondering what the hell all the sirens were. Whatever, that's what happened. It was a neighbor-to-neighbor dispute that ended in a suicide, and um, 
so the, the threat is is no longer there. Um, the guy that did the shooting committed suicide. Apparently, a couple people were transported to Riverbend, condition unknown. So that that's what was going on there, and uh, that's your breaking news on the Bo's Nose Show. For those of you that are listening out of my district from Santa Clara and uh, out of Pat Farr's district there at River Road, might have been a little disconcerting when you saw all those cop cars head basically towards the direction where your kids go to high school, middle school, and maybe even elementary school. Um, they're all three kind of right around that same area. So um, turns out nothing that can to be continued to worry about. Still got to wonder what the heck happened, what pushed this guy over the edge. I'm assuming this guy. Um, and uh, I guess we'll hear more about that later as, as details unfold. So it's been a busy week for me. Um, Monday night, we got to do a joint elected officials meeting with the city of Springfield uh, as they're getting ready to adopt amendments to the and and adopt a new transportation system plan. Uh, then we had board meetings all day on, on Tuesday, which even included a, a section where we were meeting as the Board of Health and we got our semi-annual Board of Health report. Talked a lot about sexually transmitted infections. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, also talked about equity in the afternoon and equi the equity and diversity work we've been doing as an organization. And then this morning, we had a board meeting where we spent another hour talking about equity and the future of our equity work. Uh, yesterday was more about what we've been doing. This was about looking, looking forward. Um, then we also talked about performance auditors and whether we should be hiring another performance auditor, whether we should be contracting out that service. Uh, you know, a little bit of that, but you know, basically from Monday evening to Tuesday at lunch, I mean Wednesday at lunch was basically board of commissioners meeting. So not a whole lot of time to do things like return phone calls and everything, you know, emails. So if I haven't returned your phone call, I apologize because I went straight out of the board of commissioners meeting, ran across the street for the looking glass annual meeting, which I was invited to attend. And uh, I've talked about looking glass on the show before. Um, in fact, I think we even had Craig Opperman as a guest one time. Probably about time to bring them back because it's a pretty interesting organization here in our community. And it is the only nationally accredited runaway and homeless youth service organization in this state you know, that carries national accreditation in that um, system of, of you know, uh, service delivery. So, you know, I, when they talk about how to deal with homeless youth, I listen, you know, because they are really the professionals. But they do a lot of other services. They have some alternative school uh, programs that help kids that are in trouble uh, and having difficulty. They have a residential psychiatric care facility or kids in crisis that are, you know, uh, already dealing in the foster care system. This is kind of a response to some of the, you know, putting foster kids in, in hotel rooms or sending them out of state, uh, trying to develop that program. And they actually had that program before it shut down due to lack of resources and they reopened it uh, once that problem cropped up again. Um, but they wide variety of services for youth 
kind of in youth in, in, in crisis um, for various reasons, whether they're, they, they're involved in uh, the foster care system or um, the criminal justice system in some way, or they're homeless uh, and runaway, um, or just dealing with, you know, uh, traditional school hasn't been working for them. They, they provide a lot of great services. And um, I, you know, enjoy getting to hear about their work. And uh, interesting also to hear about their challenges. Um, as Craig was go talking about everything they do, uh, he put up one slide that was a list that was a list that was about, you know, 15 to 20 items long of all the various um, audits and inspections they go through to maintain all of their contracts with the various government agencies, et cetera. Um, and it was pretty incredible, you know, how many annual, you know, inspections slash reports they have to do to various, all the various agencies, because just about every little piece of funding stream, of course, in order for him to keep some of this, this nonprofit going, he has to cobble together grants and um, funding streams from multiple places, which means now he's also got to spend an awful lot of time just trying to be responsive to the accounting and, and accountability back to those fund each different funding source. So, um, you know, while it's great we have this this great nonprofit serving, you know, at-risk kids. Here we've got we're we're putting a huge amount of um, burden on them just to keep their funding going, <laughs> and all the reporting and regs they have to follow. So. It's it's uh, you kind of have to feel sorry for those guys sometimes, but they do some great work. And when you really want to talk about prevention, um, there are a couple things that are so much more effective when you're dealing with teenagers than adults. Two of which, in particular, people should care about dealing with um, basically. Um, sexual um, assault, sexual um, uh, issues with teenagers and trying to get them back on the straight and narrow, there's about an 85% success rate if, you, if you're dealing with teenagers, whereas adults, you know, recidivism rate for um, uh, folks that are involved in sex crimes is, is pretty high once they get to be an adult. So it's like, we ought to be catching them young. Um, and then same thing with addiction treatment is much more effective with youth than it is with adults. You know, as far as first time through the program and, and staying sober. So we want to talk about homeless prevention and crime prevention in, in the long run. We need to be working upstream with our youth and, and, and particularly ones that have already shown issues around that so we don't end up with addicted adults with you know mental health issues and all that stuff that are on the street but we don't end up with folks that are committing crimes and then we have to figure out you know what are we going to do with them once they serve their sentences as far as housing and everything else goes um, so really appreciate the work that looking glass does but uh, beyond that some of the board work we've done 
you know, and, and this gets to working with you somewhat too. Um, and we have, we function as the Board of Health. And in particularly our task as the Board of Health is really about around public health. I mean, you think about those are the things where we're, you know, tracking communicable diseases and, and um, it's something like this, you know, measles that was recently in news comes out, we're the ones responsible for tracking down cases, educating the public about where exposures might have been, getting people to, to identify that they might have been exposed so we can continue to track them. And, uh, you know, with the measles in particular, we you know, have them on, quote, a fever watch um, where we're getting them to take their temperature on a regular basis and, and record in so that if they do suddenly start getting a fever, we can get them someplace in isolation uh, rather than exposing other people. Um, you know, there's that aspect of public health. Um, then there's kind of like the communicable diseases that aren't so much like you're worried about a chronic outbreak or something like that, the slow burn. And particularly that area is the sexually transmitted diseases are one of those um, slow burns. Uh, you know, other things like um, hepatitis and um, tuberculosis uh, might be you know, slower burn issues in the community. Um, but the sexually transmitted diseases, um, not such good news for Lane County. We're seeing increases in chlamydia, we're seeing increases in gonorrhea, we're seeing increases in syphilis. Um, basically every sexually transmitted infection is increasing. The one place where you know, maybe there's good news is we've been holding very steady on HIV AIDS as far as new cases reported. Basically one a month is our average and has been for years. Um, so, you know, good news there, we, we've had success, and I think, you know, a lot of people understand that, that infection, and there's also been some very great uh, um, strides made in antivirals that control um, that to the point where it becomes almost no detect, not infectious in some individuals. Um, but just don't quite get this increase in gonorrhea and syphilis that's been, and it's not just been this year, it's been a steadily rising issue over the past eight to 10 years in Lane County. You know, and, and you try and what, you know, try and break it down. What are the drivers? You know, why are we seeing that? And you just, you, you can't quite pin it on one thing, but there are a couple things that are, that are definitive drivers. One is sex trafficking is, is a driver of those issues. Secondary to that is drug use. Um, some of these diseases actually are not, can be transmitted by dirty needles, but they also get transmitted a lot in people that sell sex to support a drug habit. Um, and, you know, and then of course, there's a lot of bad decision-making when somebody's impaired on drugs. So um, that's where we're seeing some of it there. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, as I think about you know, my adulthood, as I'm, as I was explaining to somebody else the other day, when I was a kid, the first R-rated movie that I managed to sneak into 
as like a 16-year-old when you know, you're supposed to be 17 was Blazing Saddles. I don't think Blazing Saddles would be rated R today. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's familiar with that Mel Brooks classic, um, but it mostly just had a lot of bad language, some innuendo in it, and, uh, you know, definitely, uh, you know, was was a naughty film, but a you know, rise into an R in today's world, it wouldn't get there. Um, so you kind of wonder, you know, have, have community standards and culture slipped to the point where um, sex has become very, um, you know, normalized in some ways. And then you look at the rise of porn on the internet and, and wonder if, if that accessibility to that, that pornography, and of course, there's a whole set of victims in pornography that we can talk about some other time, but does that provide a complete um, un, um, you know, a complete expectation of a completely unrealistic idea of what sex, a normal sex life should be for our youth as they're growing up, as they get exposed to porn more and more at a younger and younger age. Um, and then, you know, you wonder if that, you know, the whole, you know, hookup uh, culture and everything else, uh, you know, we've just seen this increasing rise in, in sexually transmitted diseases. And, and we talk about, you know, how, you know, how can we, you know, address it, you know, get more education, you know, more, you know, health ed maybe in, in, in the youth or whatever else, try and, you know, get people to get tested more often, you know, and make testing easy and cheap and, and available. Um, but no one seems to want to talk about maybe addressing the whole um, issue of how much porn has proliferated in our society, how much um, there's certain um, things in our culture that have allowed women to be so demeaned and disrespected that people think that, um, you know, prostitution is a victimless crime and don't understand this, the sex trafficking that goes on in that and the people that will, will um, pay for sex. Um, don't understand what's behind, you know, that person they're paying and the, uh, the victimization that goes on there. You know, we need to kind of think a little bit about addressing the, some of the cultural drivers of why sexually transmitted infections are rising across this country, but in particular here in Lane County, um, because we're kind of, we're, we're we're racing to the top, just like we're racing to the top in things like, you know, homelessness and, and uh, addiction. Um, you know, the STDs are following right along with that, but, you know, that has other drivers than just poverty and drug use. Um, it also is, you know, the fact that you know, people are having unprotected sex and, and not understanding transmission and, and other issues. Um, and expecting, you know, having unrealistic expectations around um, sexual roles uh, and, and sex lives. But, you know, so it's kind of an interesting conversation. It was kind of funny when I, I brought that up in the board a little bit, you know, 
everyone wanted to talk about education, prevention stuff, and all that stuff. And I brought up the whole idea of, of um, the sex trade and the porn uh, trade, and, and people got kind of quiet. <laughs> no one jumped in, and, and I wanted to talk about that too much. Um, but it, it is uh, it is part of that. And, you know, and the thing is, I'm very much a libertarian. I'm not saying that we should pass some kind of regulation of that, that stuff. What I'm saying is we need to, as a culture, make that not okay. You know, kind of talk about, you know, it shouldn't be as prevalent as it is. You know, it shouldn't be okay. We shouldn't have um, songs in our pop culture that, you know, kind of promote all that and denigrate women. Um, you know, we shouldn't have movies maybe that have some of that in it where it doesn't look like it's um, not, you know, kind of makes it look not, no, you know, makes it look more normal than not normal. Um, so I just, it's just, and that, that's something that, you know, you can control by not buying something by an artist and not purchasing a ticket to that movie and all that. Um, you know, it's amazing the way culture will go where people spend their money. <laughs> it's something we should be doing personally, each of us, uh, thinking about, you know, what am I doing? You know, maybe to, to keep from promoting those, those things that aren't healthy in, as a culture in our community. Which kind of gets me to the next topic of equity a little bit. And uh, we spent a talk, little bit of time talking about that um, and diversity, et cetera. And, um, you know, Lane County as an organization has done a lot. You know, we, we um, have done a lot of outreach to um, underrepresented uh, communities in our hiring. And uh, we actually have, you know, when you compare our employee um, population to Lane County's population, we're doing pretty well. Um, more than half of our supervisors and managers are female. But there's all sorts of places you can look at, say, you know, Lane County's kind of doing the right things. Um, but some, somewhere they get in the, in the equity conversation, it starts getting into the idea of um, equalizing outcomes. And it, it got mentioned today in our board work session and that's kind of where I start getting nervous because, you know, there, there's part of the equity conversation gets around identifying people by group. And, and I've talked in the past about identity politics on the Bo's Nose show and, and my dislike of trying to group people by some artificial grouping, whether it's the fact that their you know, root culture spoke Spanish which doesn't necessarily make people exactly alike. It's kind of putting, uh, you know, Mexicans, Puerto Ricans, and, um, you know, somebody from Ecuador all in the same boat. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, yeah, that, that, that sort of artificial grouping is a bad thing. But when you get into trying to equalize outcomes, there's some places where, yeah, there there is a place to do that. You know, where somebody has a right to something, their um, skin color, their mobility, 
their uh, race, uh, ethnicity, religion, whatever, should not prohibit their ability to exercise that right. So when we talk about whether or not our jury boxes in our courthouse are accessible for a wheelchair, we should be accessible. The, the outcome there, you know, that, that everybody has a right to serve on a jury, and you're and as a accused, you have a right to be tried by a jury of your peers. Well, your peers include everyone in society, and if we're excluding somebody from being able to serve because we put a step up into the jury box, um, that's a problem that needs fixing. And 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 at that point, but if we're talking about everybody needs to you know, have equal success or something like that, and you want to provide that success by taking somebody's, um, you know, wealth from one person and giving it to another um, because they happen to be one of, you know, from one of these, um, you know, underrepresented uh, groups in, in, in that that particular success place or something like that if you do if that person's giving up that wealth involuntarily if you're taking it from them confiscating it or whatever they're you're taking their time and treasure involuntarily you're stealing from them to equalize stuff that's where i start getting the problems because really equity should be everybody has equal rights and, and has certain, you know, protected rights that should be, everybody should be able to exercise. You know, right to redress of government. You know, if we have something that's preventing somebody from being able to provide public input at a board meeting, we should figure out how to accommodate that and providing as many ways to give public input. Kind of why I do this radio show. You can give public input anytime on the radio show just by calling me at 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one. Because you can take the conversation wherever you want. It's one of the reasons why I do this show uh, is trying to expand access to your elected official. Uh, and so you have that right to redress um, that, you know, that's kind of built into our constitution as an individual. Um, but, you know, it, it's always a, a fine line for me um, when folks talk about equity and diversity. Um, I, I, you know, kind of being able to check a box that we hired as a, a Hispanic um, doesn't quite get down to you know, it, does that person represent, you know, the Hispanic community? I don't know. You know, I had a um, exchange student one year that was from Mexico, but his heritage was basically Castilian uh, you know, back from Spain and was part of the old Spanish um, uh, aristocracy uh, that, um, Conquered Mexico, basically, not part of the um, Aboriginal peoples, and had no, you know, very, you know basically no uh, indigenous blood in him. 
so, so that when he came here and was attending a local high school, he was ostracized by the other Hispanic kids in the school because most of them were, um, you know, had indigenous people's blood in the background and were from the lower classes of uh, Mexico and other other countries from Central America. And they basically teased him as being uh, a papa's boy and a rich kid and everything else. And, you know, he, you know, his friends were not the Hispanics that existed at that high school. His friends became other exchange students from other, um, you know, countries that were Spanish-speaking and, and plus also um, non-Hispanic kids at high school. So, you know, that, that um, putting people into a box because they check off the demographic is, is a difficult thing to do. Something we probably should be very careful about doing. And thinking that we've had some kind of success because we now have, you know, equal or more Hispanics than what the background population is in Lane County working for Lane County. You know, does that necessarily make us successful if, you know, all of them are, say, like my exchange student and from the upper class? You know, do they really represent the background Hispanic population in Lane County? May not. You know, so that that's we we walk into a dangerous territory when we want to do things purely based on artificial um, backgrounds, you know, and, and this discussion of, you know, these were formerly oppressed people or there's still, in, you know, systems of oppression out there. And I look at that and go, so how do you explain the success of, of the Korean um, population in this country? It wasn't too long ago, World War II, that they were basically enslaved by the Japanese people. You know, the pleasure women and all that, uh, and horribly abused by the Japanese. You know, that that's a whole lot more recent history of, of oppression than a whole lot of other cultures that we claim that are still suffering from oppression, yet they seem to be very successful in our society. And, 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 you know, not very well represented in some of these areas where people, you know, poverty and, and homelessness and everything else. Um, so it, it's, you know, you kind of wonder what, what why, why do they seem to be successful and have, have overcome that, that um, long history of oppression? Because I mean, the Korean people have been invaded multiple, multiple times by Japan over the centuries. Uh, and China at times, and enslaved and whatever. So, you know, why are they successful? So, oversimplification to try and put all that into, you know, we, we, you know, this quote equity lenses and everything else where we're going to deal with things based on artificial classifications and dividing people into groups. The danger of dividing people in the groups is you actually build this unity rather than dealing with them, I think, and this is what I believe, as Dr. King said, 
as individuals, not on their skin color, race, creed, religion, whatever, but by the content of their character. And that's how we should deal with people. Which kind of leads me to another discussion because sort of in that discussion, there was a little bit brought up about hate and the rise of hate groups and all that stuff. And, you know, there's a group that's formed in Eugene and I'm waiting for them to be called a hate group soon. Um, Wake up Eugene. And it's a group of businesses that have finally gotten fed up with the behaviors and the crime and lawlessness that comes with the homeless community that is basically mentally ill and addicted on drugs and just lawless in general. Um, and the sort of ringleader of that has been the owner of Elkhorn Brewery down there on Franklin Boulevard <clears throat> after he was vandalized for about the third time, this time very seriously, by a mentally unstable homeless woman. And uh, he brought together a group of businesses, and they basically are trying to press the city to kind of do something to to make people a little bit more accountable for their behaviors in, in downtown because the businesses are, you know, are the ones that are losing on this. They're losing business. They're having to make repairs. They're constantly uh, having to spend labor on cleaning their properties up. Um, so, you know, and what's interesting about the owner of Elkhorn is he spent about two years working undercover in the homeless community, filming documentaries about them. So it's not like this guy doesn't understand the homeless community or sympathetic to them in, in, in other ways. It just happens that his business has been so targeted with vandalism that he, he just couldn't not speak up anymore. Well, turns out last night he was vandalized again now that he's become the, quote, voice of this um, group of businesses. Somebody went to his business last night and tipped over all his dumpsters and scattered garbage all over his property um, last night. And obviously, um, seemed what seems to me very much retaliation targeting. Now, I wonder if the folks that are concerned about hate are going to consider that a quote hate crime or is just the fact that this group wants to hold a um, start holding people responsible for their personal behavior as individuals are they going to be considered a hate group so kind of interesting there you know how that's going to be dealt with and um, I really feel sorry for the the folks at Elkhorn, if I get a chance, I'm going to stop there, have lunch or dinner or something like that. And if you get a chance and want to support some of these businesses that have started to speak out, there are a couple of them there um, along um, Franklin that have really become a little bit vocal. Um, but yeah, stop at Elkhorn, you know, have a burger, maybe have an adult beverage, support them, let them know that, that you support um, holding people accountable for their behavior. So I mentioned at the top of the show that I was in Springfield Monday night, and I want to give Springfield some kudos um, here. First, I just want to mention casually that the Eugene Weekly, and this is so ironic, you know, they have their best of issue where you know they get votes in from all their readers and they issue you know the best the best 
bartender in, in, in the area, the best restaurant, the best Thai restaurant or whatever, you know, that, you know, uh, best public servant, you know, which seems to always be Peter Rafazio, wins that one regularly. Um, but they they did a best downtown, and and Springfield won. So, yay Springfield! You guys are doing something good there. But what's kind of ironic? It's the Eugene Weekly that's issuing the best downtown to Springfield. And I get back to that wake up Eugene theme back there. You might want to think Eugene a little bit about why your local weekly newspaper had to issue the, the award for the best downtown to your next door neighbor um, a little bit. But congratulations, Springfield, for winning that. But I also want to give Springfield kudos. And, you know, Rob and I have made fun of Springfield a little bit with a crazy eight. You know, they're over in Glenwood and the, the circles and stuff like that. Um, when it comes to transportation stuff and some of their transportation planning has gone on in Springfield. But we were there to talk about their transportation system plan. And the one thing I want to make clear is Springfield, in developing their transportation system plan and the list of projects that are supposed to happen in the next 20 years, which is part of what they adopt with this transportation system plan, is a, is a capital improvement plan of, of projects that are necessary to maintain a certain level of service, you know, um, lack of congestion, if you want to put it that way, uh, in, a road, in the roadways in the community to accommodate the growth of traffic and population that they're planning for. <clears throat> Springfield is assuming in their project list that they're going to maintain a level of service of D, which is not all that great, but at least it's not gridlock. So, you know, if you, they had set a level of service of C, it drives the price of the projects up a lot. So that means you have to do things like raise gas taxes and SDCs to pay for them. So there's a cost to the community. So there's a balance in doing those transportation system plans. But they're assuming a level of service of D, which I congratulate them for because at least they're assuming a level of service that's not gridlock. Not the best. You might have to wait a few minutes to turn out of a street or something like that. Um, but at least it's not gridlock. Unlike the city of Eugene, we adopted their transportation system plan about a year ago, I think it is now. And their level of service assumptions were E, which is basically failing for all the city with the exception of the downtown core, where they have a level of service assumption of F. So they are planning in the city of Eugene's transportation system plan for complete gridlock downtown. And you know, why are they doing that? Because if they plan for a higher level of service, they might actually have to widen roads to accommodate automobiles. Because you know, automobiles are evil <laughs> As Robin jumps in there with the dramatic. Yes. You know, but but don't forget that uh, Eugene did get uh, two awards from us. Yeah, they have. They've, they've gotten to what were they thinking several times before. And I think that was one of the ones I gave them. What were they thinking about was why are they you know, adopting a transportation plan that assumes gridlock is not much of a plan. <laughs> and the ever popular the Drunken Architect Award. 
Yes, yes, for what they did to 6th and 7th Avenues uh, when they put the uh, bus rapid transit down them. <laughs> ah, yes, and something they want to do in other areas now, too. So, pretty, yeah, I, I just have to say, Springfield, thank you for at least not planning on gridlock, that you're doing a level of service too above the city of Springfield, I mean, city of Eugene. And, and no wonder your downtown's better. <laughs> As Eugene's playing on gridlock and letting the homeless run amok, um, Springfield seems to be attracting really cool things uh, like Plank Town and, and other businesses to downtown and uh, uh, some really, uh, you know, nice places to gather and, and uh, you know, some loft apartments up above some of those businesses and, and uh, kind of becoming a hip little place to go, you know. Why it won the best downtown? Eugene might get there eventually, but I, you know they've got some stuff that's happening that's really pretty cool. You, you know, one of the things we talked about on Tuesday was the uh, the public square plan that Eugene's coming up with to actually put a permanent um, year-round farmers market there across from the county uh, office building on the. Uh, what's now called the butterfly parking lot um, and uh, to redo the park blocks to kind of make them a little bit more friendly, uh, which is kind of making them all on one level. Part of what that does is it kind of eliminates some of the hiding places on, on you know, where people can sit down behind walls and all that stuff and do nefarious things. Uh, but it, it's, uh, it should help revitalize that downtown area along with, you know, um, some of the private investment that's happening downtown in Eugene is going to be pretty exciting. Um, the uh, the redo of the old Eugene Hilton as the graduate as they finish up some of those improvements. Brian Obie's um, expansion of the market district and uh, homes for good it's a new housing project that goes along with that. It's going to add some pretty exciting dynamic space to downtown Eugene. Just hope that they can maybe get a little bit of control of the behaviors in downtown Eugene so people will actually go to them. <laughs> so, yay, Elkhorn Brewery, wake up, Eugene. Um, but, you know, I was talking with somebody else about this. You know, you can't blame it all on Eugene in some ways. There's a couple things that they did not have control over, one of which is that Ninth Circuit Court decision in, in Boise that basically says, you can't trespass people off of pub public property that are sleeping unless you have some place for them to go sleep that's non-religious and low barrier. So um, kind of made it really hard to trespass people that are just camping and sleeping. Um, that, that decision didn't say anything about people that are committing crimes. And, and holding them responsible for their crime. But the other thing Eugene didn't have control over is what the legislature did in decriminalizing the possession of a lot of controlled sub substances uh, of, of what they called um, personal use quantities, um, making them misdemeanor rather than felonies. Now, mind you, the level, the amount of heroin that you can now have on you and only be charged with a misdemeanor is enough for about 70 doses. 
So I don't know how many people go through 70 doses on a personal basis, that that's not really dealer quantity, but you know, that was what the legislature did. And, and why this matters and why it makes the homeless situation worse is, you know, there is a lot of homelessness that's driven by addiction. And a lot of those people, if you watched, you know, Seattle is dying, they told you on camera, they have no desire to get help to deal with their addiction because they don't feel a need to. You know, they, they're, they're happy living on the streets, being addicted, a lot of them. But if they get arrested and charged with a felony and they're facing prison time where they're going to have to be dry anyway and they're going to end up in prison, sometimes you can offer them treatment court and treatment in lieu of prison. But when the legislature changed those laws and made all those possessions misdemeanors, we no longer have that hammer to hold over those folks' heads to kind of force them into treatment. And it's not so much forcing, they have a choice. They can serve their time or they can they can get treatment. But it, it you know, our drug court and treatment courts have such a high success rate and our 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 programs that, that take people through treatment in, in a supervised manner under the court system where if they, you know, if they fail in the treatment system, they end up, you know, having to serve, you know, whatever time for the crime uh, they committed has been so successful. It has such a great success rate and such a low recidivism rate. And the legislature basically pulled the rug out from under a lot of those programs where it's difficult to populate some of those treatment courts because folks charged with misdemeanor don't care. You know, one, we don't have the resources to prosecute a lot of those misdemeanors. I mean, there's a lot, you know, our DA has to choose what crimes they're going to prosecute because there's more crimes people are arrested for than they can possibly ever prosecute. And they just seem to not understand the legislature that when they made all these misdemeanors, a lot of these folks basically get arrested on that misdemeanor. And, and a lot of times they just get written a, a ticket, you know, you know where they, they're not even taken in and booked because they, the, the cops know that they're just going to be right back out the door before they finish the paperwork. You know, that the, the guy will be released faster than they can actually get done filling out the paperwork there and be back on the street. So, you know, how does Eugene control that population? They can't trespass people from public property because of the, the Ninth Circuit decision. They don't have the treatment court option as strong as they used to because of the legislature, um, you know, and some of the what they've done to decriminalize a lot and, and reduce sentencing. You know, along with that, they reduce sentencing on a lot of property crime, which is what people do to pay for addiction. Um, you know, so it, it's it's a difficult problem for Eugene, but it doesn't seem that like they're trying that hard either. So it'll be interesting to see now that they have this you know new um, tax that they've put in place. Um, 
you know, income tax, which is supposed to go to adding um, enforcement capacity, whether they'll start trying to deal with holding people accountable for their behavior. Not talking about arresting somebody for sleeping. You know, not talking about arresting somebody for being poor. Talking about arresting somebody for, you know, basically victimizing somebody else. You know, stealing, vandalism, you know, those various things. Um, that that needs we need to start holding people responsible for some of the behaviors that come along with um, some of the issues they have that are causing them to be homeless in the first place in downtown. But um, I'm sure that that is you know it's interesting you know it's got to be a combination of things. Yes, we still need to think, you know, we have to have, once we get those people through treatment and all that stuff, we need to have transitional housing and services for them and everything else. But um, it has to be a two-pronged approach. We can't just provide a bunch of services and expect people um, that are addicted to voluntarily walk into some of those uh, treatment programs. It's rare that that happens. So with that, I'll let I'll pause, take a break, and give a chance for you guys to call in if you want to change the subject here. We've got about 10 minutes left on the Bose Nose Show. 646-721-9887 is the number to get in on the conversation. Just press one so Robin knows you want to talk. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press one if you want to get in on the conversation. Cover a lot of ground from uh the shooting on River Road uh, to Looking Glass and some of their services, sexually transmitted diseases, equity and access and diversity and um, homelessness and wake up Eugene and transportation planning. Who has the best downtown around here? Uh, wow, a lot of subjects we've covered today. Um, so. But if there's something I haven't covered that you want to talk about, we can talk about that here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1 if you want to get on the conversation. So I didn't have a what were they thinking today um, of my own. I didn't know, uh, Robin, I'm catching a little cold. Was there anything that came to your mind? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, locally or nationally? <laughs> but yeah, I will say one thing, you know, real quick, you know, I, I, you know, horses have been in the news a lot lately here in Lane County. <laughs> you know, I haven't talked about the situation in Cresswell at all. And I hope people are now understanding why they should withhold judgment till they have all the information. Now that we understand that there were you know, three dead horses found on that property. Um, you want to a quick, uh, quick summary of um, of the situation? Yeah, uh, for folks that don't remember, that was that our animal control folks in the sheriff's department um, came in and uh, confiscated 61 horses from a property in Cresswell. That was um, some of them were owned by the owner of the property, and most of them were boarded there in, in, in some shape or fashion. Um, but they, many of the horses were extremely 
uh, malnourished uh, to where they look like walking skeletons. Um, I know of one horse that basically had um, skis for front hose, which you know is not a good situation. That means they haven't been taking care of their their hooves. Um, people that aren't horse people, and this is you know. Here's a little glimpse into Jay's past. I did own horses as a teenager and used to ride. So I, I have a little bit of empathy here and understand that you have to have a farrier in every once in a while to keep the horse's hooves, you know, you know, under control, unless they're out where they run a lot and they run on hard ground a lot to keep them worn down naturally, like, you know, a Mustang in the wild. Because um, they, their hooves grow constantly. And even in fact, you sometimes have to have a vet there to do something called floating the teeth, but that's a whole other thing because their teeth grow consistently too. Uh, but yeah, horses require kind of care. They're kind of uh, uh, four legs that you pull, pour a lot of money into. And I think some people don't appreciate that sometimes, uh, just how much it costs to keep a horse in good health. But we confiscated these 61 horses and a lot of people were upset because some of the people boarding there couldn't you know, immediately get their horses back and all. It's a criminal investigation. You wouldn't expect to get a piece of jewelry back that had been burglarized from your home when you found out that, uh, say, maybe they were that piece of jewelry turned out to be in that house in uh, the Whitaker neighborhood that was busted yesterday where they found a bunch of stolen property because you would have to be logged into evidence and documented and everything else. And you'd have to show that, you know, proof of ownership and everything. And it might come back to you in a couple of weeks or something like that. Yeah, and just to kind of jump in real quick, uh, I put a, a graphic up on the screen that uh, one of those miniature horses that has a, its hooves looks like uh, uh, goat horns. Yeah. Not supposed to be that way. Really bad for a horse. And if they founder where the hoof starts to separate from the uh, the bone and all, uh, it, it's it's fatal for a horse. You can't correct it. Um, so there's a reason why you, you take care of horses. But all that said, there were a lot of people criticizing, thinking that we jumped the gun and everything else, and we, we, we took action, you know, prematurely and you know, now it comes out there are actually three dead horses on the property. Maybe some of those people that accused us of jumping the gun and acting prematurely might calm down a little bit. Um, but so, uh, but my what were they thinking kind of goes to the governor of California. Because, you know, the other place horses have been in the news is about Santa Anita track down in California, where they've had several horses that have had to be put down because of leg injuries, possibly due to the track being too hard um, or dangerous in some way, which is a bad thing. You know, you don't want horses being put down. But in the midst of one of the worst natural disasters and crises in his state with the fires and rolling blackouts and everything else going on in California. He took time to have a press conference around the fact that one horse was put down recently on the day of the Breeders' Cup. You know, is that really rise to the level of the governor's attention when half your state's burning up 
the other half doesn't have power. <laughs> you're running out of money. You're, you're, you know, uh, for employee retirement system, public employee retirement systems going broke. All the other problems California has, and you hold a press conference about a horse having to be put down, a single horse. There's your what? What, what are they thinking? Yeah, yeah. What were you thinking, Governor Newsom? Yeah, yeah. I just it, that one that one surprised me a little bit. Is is you know of all the things you have to worry about, California, Santa Anita track probably is not up to rise to the level of holding a governor press conference. So just kind of think about it, Gov. Pay attention maybe to some bigger issues where people are losing their homes and their lives in fires. You know, it needs to rise a little bit higher. So, so anything else on your mind there as, as, I, as I wander into California? <laughs> Just don't stay there. Yeah. Well, no one does. That's the other thing about California is he's worried about, you know, a horse at Santa Anita and his his state is losing population. Yeah. You know, the number of people that have moved from California to Texas is pretty incredible. Washington State is like the second highest pe- where people move to out of California. Oregon receives quite a few and Nevada, um, quite a few in Arizona. But Texas and, and Washington State seem to be the, the greatest recipients. And it, what kills me is these people move out of California and then they start trying to make the state they moved to just like the one they left. <laughs> That's true. And don't understand that why they left that state in the first place. Um, yeah, high housing prices, you know, economies that are starting to crash, rolling blackouts, increasing property taxes. Hint, hint. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. California, yeah. there's a lot for you to pay attention to. And, and another sidebar here. I was discussing the whole issue of, of you know, the California fires and the utilities line starting fires and stuff like that. And now they're having the rolling blackouts and stuff like that. The root cause of some of that was California passed really aggressive green power standards where they were requiring their utilities to have a mandatory amount of green power for their generation portfolio. Well, that requires a lot of capital investment, capital investment that could have gone into renewal and replacement of aging infrastructure in their distribution and transmission systems. Starting this Charleston docks here. Uh, <laughs> along with that, with you know all the environmental you know push in California, try getting permission from a property owner in California to cut a tree down that is overhanging a power line. You know, yeah. Yeah. You get a permission for that? Yeah. You and from the environment, you know, got to have an environmental study and everything else, you know, that goes along with that. So they they 
they diverted money that could have been spent upgrading and and keeping the uh, electrical system like cross arms you know replacements and things like that on on poles got diverted into you know trying to put in the green energy and charging stations for cars and crap like that at the same time when they did want to do maintenance work to try and prevent tree branches from falling on power lines the environmentalists and neighbors stopped them you know the nimbyism you know i you know yeah i don't mind if you I don't want, you know, trees falling on power lines, except for the ones behind my house, because I need those to provide, you know, screening between me and a neighbor I don't want to look at or something, you know? Yeah. Or 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 their habitat for some something, you know? Don't cut my trees. Don't cut these trees because there's some habitat purpose for them that, you know, I'm going to bring up. Cause, but my real reason is I don't want trees cut because that, that, you know, opens up a view to something I don't want to see. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not mention spotted owl. Yeah. So what happens? We have a couple fires that are started by utilities. So and then they go after the utilities and huge lawsuits over those fires, which were the result of diverting money on green energy projects and environmentalists blocking tree clearing projects. So what happens? They start doing rolling blackouts as a preventative to, to prevent the risk and and lawsuits that resulted from the fires the year before. You know, unintended consequences when you start trying to enter in and force the market to go somewhere with government. California jumped in and wanted the power market to go a certain direction and mandated it, and then they end up with the fires. Gotta love them. Gotta love it. Hey, uh Real quick here before, because I know we're going, we're running a little bit over, but that's okay. Um, just want to give uh, kudos to uh, people that have been listening to us and finding us on iTunes, and now we're on iHeartRadio, uh, Player.fm, and others. Uh, we really appreciate the numbers. Uh, be sure to tell your friends. Yeah. Give us a like. Yeah. yeah, give us a like. Find us on Facebook, you know, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, and uh, we'll be back next week here at Four o'clock on Wednesday, our regular time for the Bose Nose Show. Coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great week. <laughs>